It's the Friday after another revelatory hearing of the January 6th committee. It's been amazing stuff these past two months, and they say they're coming back in September. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston to wrap up the week. Did you all watch the hearing yesterday? Pretty much. I did. Ohio played a role. You know, we have the wacko bartender who's who's down there stoking the thing. We had the very responsible Trump administration member who grew up in North Canton, graduated from Kent State, who resigned on January 6th because of what she saw the president doing. Here's my question, though. If, if you watched it, you know that constantly in last night's hearing, they talked about how he did not honor his oath to uphold and protect the Constitution of the United States. I mean, every juncture, that's what this was about. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, Mike DeWine, Frank LaRose, Keith Faber, mm-hmm. Matt mm-hmm. Huffman, Bob Cup, they all did the same thing. They all failed their duty to honor and uphold the Ohio Constitution on redistricting. And it was for the very same reason Donald Trump did, to keep power. Where is the outrage against those guys? They did the same thing. They dishonored the Constitution. They should not be sitting in their offices. They did not uphold the Constitution. They violated their oaths. And not a peep, really. Whereas we have an enormous hearing going on that's really laying Donald Trump out flat. Well, people died. I think that's the big difference. (laughs) And, and, you know, the whole world watched it happen. And it was so, you know, in your face and so scary. And, you know, the video clips, they... They keep playing. They keep warning you. These are graphic and violent, and they are. They're disturbing. And I think that in Ohio, they got away with it because it was just like very administrative and bureaucratic and, you know, behind the scenes. But you're right. They they just chose not to act. I mean, it was like they did the opposite of acting. It was like a moments. bloodless coup is what it was. Yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. Way to but, but we should – but there should be results from that. When you were the governor – and you violate the constitution of the state that you represent, there should be some kind of ramification. And maybe there will be at the ballot box. Although, Manuel is pretty much invisible in her campaign. I don't see how she's going to pull that out. Two, could, two moments last night that were really striking. One was Josh Hawley, the guy who claims to be strong in the fist bump that rallied the crowd, running away like a coward. And man, the committee reveled in showing that. Social media lit him up. I don't know how he survives looking like this simpering, fool running away when he pretended to be so strong. But the other was the outtakes of Donald Trump making his speech the the day of and the following day where he's refusing to say the election is over. It was in the script. His whole staff had written. I don't want to say the election's over. I'm not going to say that. I mean, you really got into the mindset of where he was. He was planning to continue to be ridiculous about trying to to overthrow the government well even in the video that he filmed in the rose garden he started out by saying this election was stolen you know like he keeps saying that i don't think he's ever backed down from that yeah Um, amazing stuff and and uh kinzinger and cheney they're really doing some heroic work here they both made lisa you and i were talking about it really historic speeches that i imagine will be quoted a century from now about patriotism and honoring your oath and weaponizing patriotism as donald trump did to try and stay in power okay let's begin 
What's the unsurprising ruling from the Ohio Supreme Court about what the stand your ground law in Ohio means for prosecutors? Lisa, this is a big deal, but it's not really a surprise. Yeah, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled in the case of a Richland County woman, Ladasia Brooks, who was indicted back in September 2019. But this revolves around House Bill 288, which shifted the burden of proof in self-defense cases from the defendant to prosecutors. That was passed in 2018 and went into effect in March 2019. Now, Ms. Brooks, uh, she was uh, sentenced to 10 years for assault and burglary. She uh, attacked her ex at his mom's home when she discovered him in bed with another woman, and she claimed it was self-defense. But the law changed between when that offense happened and when her trial date came a year later. So it ended up, you know, she bore the burden of proof in the trial because they did a retroactive thing. So Brooks appealed her conviction to the Ohio Fifth District Court of Appeals. It was upheld. The, the ruling was upheld and her sentence stood, but the court did acknowledge that they were in conflict with another decision in Southwest Ohio's 12th District Court of Appeals. So Brooks went all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court and the, the court ruled four to three. They all agreed that the burden of proof had shifted, but uh, Jennifer Bruner wrote the majority opinion with Michael Donnelly, Maureen O'Connor, and Melody Stewart saying, shifting the burden of proof did not violate Ohio's retro activity clause in the Ohio Constitution, nor did it violate the U.S. constitutional ex post facto clause, which means after the fact. Uh, uh, Justice DeWine, Pat DeWine, wrote the concurrence opinion. He said agrees that the federal ex post facto applies since the change favors the defendant, but it was unnecessary to consider the retroactivity clause at the state level since the rule involved court procedure and not criminal law. But it was an interesting because she's like, okay, the law was like this when I was indicted, but the law was different when I was was sentenced. So kind of an interesting legal thing. Although we've seen that in other areas, like if the penalties for marijuana crimes change, there's a movement then to address it with people who were sentenced to much harsher sentences under the previous law saying, hey, it's not really fair. If we're changing the rules now, why should those people be penalized? I mean, it's an argument that I think comes up anytime you change the law, but this seems like it, it's more common sense than anything. Right, nope. right. Yeah. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, who's the new old stock Cleveland police chief? Well, Mayor Justin Bibb announced that the interim chief, Dornat Wayne Drummond, a 33-year veteran of the department, he's going to become the permanent chief. Bibb had earlier pledged that he was going to undertake this nationwide search for a new chief after Calvin Williams stepped down at the end of former Mayor Frank Jackson's last term. But Bibb said Wednesday that, in fact, he, he never ended up launching that search because, in his words, Sometimes you have to do a search to find your leader, but sometimes that leader finds you. Aw. Heart <laughs> emoji. <laughs> he said he knew by observing Drummond on the job that he was the right choice. And in fact, as early as New Year's Eve, when Officer Shane Bartek was killed in, in the course of a carjacking, um, you know, Drummond's handling of that incident was was in part why Bibb believed he had kind of found the right person for the for the permanent job. And another telling moment for Bibb was was during a June news conference when Drummond got very tearful 
as he recounted the the recent fatal shooting of a 10-year-old. He said that, Bibb said that he saw the humanity that Chief Drummond brings to the job. He's not a politician, he's a public servant. And in policing now more than ever, that's the kind of leadership that we need. So Bibb Bib said he he also considered the benefits of appointing a leader from within the ranks as opposed to an outsider, especially especially as the city continues implementing issue 24, the, the police reform measure that the cops really hate because it provides for strong civilian oversight through the community police commission. So all of that made for Drummond to kind of rise up to this highest position. Yeah, you never hear bad things about Wayne Drummond. He's no, one of the no. better regarded people that have been on the police force. And when he was named interim, I thought, oh, good choice. But the word was he didn't want it permanently, that this was not his his plan. Maybe either the word was wrong or maybe he has been in it a while and thought, yeah, I kind of like this job and, and wants to do it. But it seems like a solid choice. And he's been scandal free, right? I, th- I think he had a gun stolen out of his car or something once, but nothing um nothing serious yeah no no i think uh so far you know i think this this seems to be a pretty solid solid choice uh and and well respected among the rank and file um you know there were also some uh you know interesting they they talked a lot about um uh there was some some news broken at the at the press conference also about a tentative contract that offers an 11% raise to the rank and file through a union a tentative re- union agreement um, Bib, you know, said that that boosting pay is crucial to filling the vacancies, and um, I think they had talked about this earlier that they had reached this agreement, but hadn't revealed that it was what what exactly the terms were. So um, that's interesting. Wondering if that's going to be enough to to start to fill in the the gaps in that in the uh, you know in the force they've been they've been very short short uh, you know filling in. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see how he does. You know, Drummond also has been trying to boost morale in other ways. You know, he's been changing policy to to try to allow yeah you know, encourage more officers to to sign on. You know, he's been allowing officers to wear ball caps and sport their tattoos and wear bur- beards and and things like that. That to try to encourage younger generations of officers to 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 join the force. Uh, he says he's old school, but but kind of a you know trying to be a progressive old school <laughs> chief, which uh, which I thought was kind of cool. So, so we wish him luck, I guess. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. What do some of our readers think about Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibbs' plan to use tax dollars to pay transportation costs for residents seeking abortions out of state? Laura, it's been a very, very active week on the subtext account. I've had more than 500 messages over four days, and a bunch were about this. Right. And it's not just a divide between people who believe in a choice for women and people who don't. It's also, you know, what do you think taxpayers dollars should be used for? So wide range of answers that you got when you sent this out. And you also got people slamming the medical mart because that was part of your tweet, too. So (laughs) people were you compare this hundred thousand dollars that the city of Cleveland wants to use to let people travel out of state for abortions as well as to the $31 million that the county wants to borrow to improve the, the Global Center or the MedMart that's been sitting there as a white elephant since they built it uh, a decade ago. So I, I have a couple, this is 100 people that responded and somebody said, you know, I'm a pro-life Democrat who does not want my tax dollars spent on travel. 
And then somebody said, you know, 100K is chump change in today's world and properly administrated. This money could help a number of deserving people. So those are just two of the many answers that you got. What was interesting about the MedMart thing was that I just was to provoke a response. I was trying to say Mm -hmm. there's lots of things government spends money on that we don't agree with. Nobody agrees with what they're going to do with the MedMart. They've got, you know, a lot of people that are upset about that. Not nobody, but almost nobody. Um, but it was interesting that that triggered such a visceral response. And then some people said, you can't compare the MedMart to abortion because abortion is killing babies and you know, MedMart's a building. And it's like, okay. But the, po- the point was, w- none of us are completely happy with how the government spends taxes. You, you know, some of us would prefer to see them do more to to develop the lakefront than they do or, or you know, build more infrastructure or whatever. We talk all the time about money that the Cayuga County Council squanders by the week. Um, and I was just floating that idea. But it was, it was interesting. You had the abortion divide show up there, but you had a much more interesting divide about the use of tax dollars. Is it an appropriate yeah. use of tax dollars to pay for this? There were a bunch of people that said, why can't nonprofits step up mm-hmm. for this? Or why can't the city support nonprofits that pay for this, but the direct payment is there? And then Layla, uh, you'll be glad there were people that were right in the camp you were in earlier this week saying there's no way they can manage this. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I come down to. I just don't, I, I'll believe it when I see it, right? It's, <laughs> I've never well, I, seen City Hall act quickly upon anything. We'll see how quickly they can turn around these these applications. I just don't believe it. It does take a stand, though, and somebody pointed this out. Like, this is a great way to garner media attention, a strategy to show that Cleveland is very different from the rest of Ohio, right? And it, maybe it does make people want to move here, saying this is a progressive city. Uh, there's two others I wanted to read that I thought were really interesting. So one says, wow, it's okay to go against Ohio law and use taxpayer money to do so. How is that legal? If I were a mayor ba- buying guns for any resident who wanted one, would that be okay? Of course not. And then I'm not happy that our tax dollars would go to something like this. It's a political issue. Are there other funds going to be set aside for people needing to travel for other medical reasons, such as cancer, which is a an interesting idea, yeah, right? Yeah, I no. thought that one was bogus because I yeah. can get treated for cancer in Ohio. There, there, that's right. it, well, that's true. I mean, this, but this but is... if we're talking about public health, are we going to talk about public money being used for other things? I, I mean, but I think this, it does raise that issue. But, but, but this isn't paying for the abortion. This is paying for the transportation to get to the abortion. That was the one red herring question answer we got that I thought was was unfair because this isn't about the treatment. It's about the transportation costs. But the one about the guns, I mean, that that's not ridiculous because this is a stretch of the use of dollars. But it's also Justin Bibb said when he ran I'm going to make sure I serve the residents in ways we haven't seen before. Most of Cleveland believes in the right to an abortion. And so you have a mayor now that is going to assist Cleveland residents with that right. Employers are doing this left and right. So if Justin Bibb said, I'm going to make this available for employees, which is part of this, people would say, okay, well, lots of employers are doing this. He's just stretching it to say, I'm going to help residents in need. I think the, the, the hurdle is what Layla said. This is a bureaucracy. City Hall is the worst bureaucracy we've ever seen. You know, by the time they get around to getting the payment together, 
the mom could have three more babies. You know, it's like, this is not going to be. <laughs> yeah, she'll have fast. a toddler sitting on her lap by the time she gets approved. <laughs> right. So anyway, interesting. I put the, the responses online. Check them out. Kalevum.com. It's today in Ohio. One of the more memorable sets of images from Cleveland's riot in the aftermath of the police killing of George Floyd was rioters setting fire to a Cuyahoga County van. The guy who lit that fire had a reckoning this week. Lisa, we hear from readers quite a bit that there was no ramifications for the rioters, that no penalties were were meted out. And it's just not true. I mean, for the people that were identified, they've been they've been slammed pretty hard. And now we have another one. What's going on here? Yeah, we all saw the photos. I mean, the guy that put the chair through the cupcake, you know, store downtown, he, he you know, was indicted and I think pled guilty. Um, but in this case, 24-year-old Martino Andrews of Cleveland pled guilty yesterday in federal court in a, in a virtual hearing uh, to conspiracy to commit arson and the torching of that Cuyahoga County Public Works van downtown during the riots. Um, both sides agreed to a sentence of a recommended sentence of three years and five months. But the final sentence will be decided November 9th by federal judge Simon Oliver. But it's pretty likely that he'll follow the recommendation since both sides came to this plea agreement. Andrews was caught on camera several times smashing that public works van uh, with a baseball bat. There was a group of people taking turns smashing the van. Andrews picked up a burning rag on the ground, threw it in the seat of the van, and then he decided to move it to the gas tank. And then there are pictures of, of the group scattering as the uh, van catches fire and, and starts to burn. But he said that he got he was interviewed by Cleveland police at his Maple Heights home in August of 2020. Um, he said that he was mad after getting hit in the neck with a tear gas canister. And that's he had every reason to set the fire because he was mad. So there you go. But, yeah, he is uh, going to be sentenced to it. It looks like a three year sentence. There's a portion of our audience that tries to equate the riots in the aftermath of George Floyd to what happened in the January 6th direction, which is ridiculous because in, in Washington, it was really an attempt to overthrow our government. And the George Floyd riots were a protest about another police killing. But part of what they say is, is that nobody cares about the people that rioted. They just want to pay attention to January 6th. This is evidence that they do. People care. And there are consequences for those that were caught doing the most damage. And and you'll remember, I mean, Mike O'Malley was begging for footage from every news outlet in town so that they could identify all the rioters. They've tried to identify them all. It's a it's a phony. It's a fiction that's peddled by people like Tucker Carlson, and it's just not true. Well, and, and you know, the protest was mostly peaceful, and there was kind of, you know, there's still kind of a debate on what sparked the, you know, move to turn it violent. Was it was it the sheriff's deputies? Was it who, you know, was it bad actors? We still don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Wouldn't it be great if we could expand our newsroom this way? How is Cleveland paying for a new position focused on digital equity and inclusion? Layla. Well, the newly created position of City Hall's digital equity and inclusion manager will be funded by two nonprofits, the Cleveland Foundation and the Rocket Community Fund. That's the nonprofit charitable arm of Rocket Mortgage. Those two agencies are going to be kicking in $300,000 to pay for the salary benefits and, and other related expenses for, the, for this new position for two years. 
the applications open Thursday morning for this new job. This position is going to help guide the city's broadband expansion plan funded by the American Rescue Plan Act. The city is expected to spend, I think, at least $20 million to expand broadband access, and they're seeking proposals for that project right now. And the nonprofits helped create the job description, but the city is going to have full control over who is hired. It's 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 unusual, but apparently not unpre- unprecedented for nonprofits to sponsor a position within the government. The Cleveland Foundation apparently in the past has helped pay for the Cleveland Sustainability Director, which I didn't know. I did not know that that, that, that was the case. Um, so interesting, interesting development. But I think that this... I think that it's important to have this position in, in place. Uh, it seemed at the beginning when they first remember when they first announced that they were going to be creating the this twenty million dollar pot of money for broadband, and we were like, you know, there was zero direction on how they were going to execute the broadband plan. This expansion, this was back in, you know, yeah, during it was a the phony together, it was a total promise. mess. Well, yeah. this this I I have higher hopes for how this is going to be uh, executed if there's somebody actually steering the ship. Um, so, so let me ask you, though, if, if this person is successful in the vision of the nonprofits in the city, what will that mean? What do you mean? Go ahead. What, ask, if, ask if, more. If, if they're successful in what is expected of them, what are the ramifications in Cleveland? What, I, I'm, I'm, if, if you were to be doing their performance review, what would you be looking for as a measure that they've done the job well? I, I mean, I guess, I guess, in this sense, you know, if they if they actually do bring broadband to the masses, right? So in this case, you know, they want to, uh, you know, execute on this this plan to 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 extend broadband throughout the city. So if the, if you actually can bring that about, um, I feel like that's a mandate mandate that they can achieve, and it's concrete. Um, so, okay. What do you it's think? A, it's a it's an interesting look. It's not. Do you like worry you said, that they're going to the be too? Time. Do you think they'll they'll be too beholden to the to the uh, nonprofits? Is that what you're no. concerned about? No, 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 not at all. I just you're creating a position. You you now have somebody that is working for Justin Bibb. What are they going to do specifically? You you mentioned that when the the council would set aside twenty million for broadband. That, that was completely bogus. They were trying to prop up Kevin Kelly and make right. him look like he was doing something part of the campaign. Sure. But I mean, is is this to bring rigor to the way they award contracts so that they reach the most people possible per dollar? Is it is it to get into the most poverty stricken neighborhoods to make sure you're giving a lift to those neighborhoods? You would hope that this has been thought out and it's not just some czar that that's going to sit in the office and, and stamp contracts that, that there should be a mission here by which you walk away from this position in a couple of years saying, yeah, we, we did it. So it's the city, you know, the, the city always has grand plans and then the money evaporates. And I, I'll be very interested to see, how many people get broadband? Remember when uh, Mike DeWine and John Houston came to East Cleveland last year and they talked about, hey, we're going to bring broadband to East Cleveland. And when you looked at the numbers of people that were actually getting to get broadband, it was infinitesimal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about a bunch of money. Now we have somebody that's going to be a ranking person in the administration. What's he gonna? What's he or she gonna show for it? Right, that's, right. That's, that's what I'm asking. Well, interestingly, there are some. There are quite a few cities uh, that have this position, and and I wonder how 
successful they've been. Um, and, and maybe we should take a look at that. Maybe we should see, you know, has, has it been fruitful to have somebody uh, who has been, um, you know, coming up with the strategy for, for this? Uh, have they been able to, to kind of, you know, further the agenda and, and create right. opportunities for, for equity and inclusion in this, in this, in this realm? Maybe we, should, we certainly maybe applaud we the nonprofits like, yeah. for, for providing for it. I mean, this is a public spirited effort that they're making. It, it just, it, it always, we, we look at the top, but then you dig down a little bit and you say, what's it mean? So maybe that's the, the way to go to see what's worked in other cities mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. see if it happens here. Good idea. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Does Cleveland have a genuine trend of people assaulting others randomly with toy pellet guns that resemble semi-automatic weapons? Laura, this is just strange. People driving around just randomly shooting pellets at strangers. Yeah, it's strange. It's scary. And it's happening because of a social media trend started on TikTok, I believe. And my kid does not have a water pellet gun. I hear of kids just a few years older that do. This is not a Nerf gun. This is not a super soaker. These shoot beads that can inflict pain, leave a welt, or draw blood. And police say they're seeing a spike in these assaults involving the toy guns, and they resemble semi-automatic weapons. Police think it's linked to the death of Ethan Liming. He's a 17-year-old who was beaten to death in Akron last month, as well as a death July 9th, um, Edward Panza of Parma, who was fatally shot during an early morning, like 2 a.m., assembly branded as an Orbeez gun battle that started with these Orbeez pellets and turned into actual real guns. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Trying to get two more done here. The family of Tamia Chapman, the 13-year-old girl who was killed as she walked on a sidewalk because of a Cleveland police chase, tried to turn up the heat on the city to settle the civil suit it filed over her death. What did they do, Lisa? Yeah, that's Chapman family attorney Sean Williams uh, is seeking a $20 million settlement from the city and demanding officer accountability for that chase in December of 2019. Um, he, he also he gave the city 30 days to respond. This lawsuit was filed two years ago and is languishing now in common pleas court. So uh, Williams said that... Uh, you know, the, the police didn't receive serious discipline for this incident. The officers in the chase were not familiar with East Cleveland. The The chase got up to 89 miles an hour down Euclid Avenue. Um, they said that the automatic vehicle location system, which estimates the speed and location of cars in pursuit, was not working in any of the police Control, patrol cars, and the investigator failed to get testimony of officers on the record and waited two months to review area surveillance cameras. Uh, Cleveland right now is not commenting. They say they do not comment on pending litigation. Yeah, I understand their frustration, but going public saying, I'm giving you so many days to respond, that's not the way civil suits work. It goes through the courts. The deadlines are set in the courts, but you certainly can understand their frustration. East Cleveland police had another chase this week that ended with a death. Uh, the, the police chases continue to be dangerous around here. It's today in Ohio. It's a Friday in late July. So it must be time to talk about the butter cow. Laura, <laughs> why is it a butter cow? Because it's made of butter. It's a dairy product, yeah, right? So get that's at the question. A cow, a butter cow. 
I mean, butter comes from cows, so you're going to make a cow with the butter. Now, that's the standard every year that they have at the Ohio State Fair. They also have a different new sculpture every year that we don't know about yet. They're going to unveil that on Tuesday. And if you remember in the past, they've had Neil Armstrong. They've had the Cavs when they won their championship. So we'll see what else they carve out of butter. And then obviously that is in a refrigerated um area where you can see it all through the Ohio State Fair. But that is just one part, even though it's one of probably the most popular traditional parts of the Ohio State Fair. Uh, you always go to stuff like this. Have you ever been to the Ohio State <laughs> no, Fair? No, I have not been to the Ohio State Fair, probably because it's always seems like it's super hot. And if I want to go to a fair like that, it should be like in October. But uh, I've been to the county fair, uh, which is still coming up, I believe, in Cuyahoga County. Or did we just miss that? I Obviously not this year. I haven't gone, but um, Susan Glazer wrote a good story about it as part of a new travel feature she's doing, day trips and overnights, highlighting destinations just a few hours from Cleveland because of the high gas prices. And obviously this is the first year the fair has been back since 2019 um, because of the COVID. So I expect if we have good weather, people will be thronging for it and not just to see the butter cow, but you know, for deep fried Buckeyes and deep fried corn on the cob and donut hamburgers. Layla, you take your family to these kind of fairs? No, of course not. <laughs> Butter cow. What? <laughs> what about you, Lisa? Have you had a history of attending these fairs? Um, well, when I was a kid, uh, when I went to Red Raider camp in, in Novelty, we would go to the Geauga County Fair every year. And we had like a little scavenger hunt that we had to find certain things. And then we had the run of the fair. So that that's my memory is the Geauga County Fair. I've heard okay, the, that the Jaga County Fair really is the king of the fairs, especially in Northeast Ohio. That I have heard that too. The Cuyahoga County Fair is August 9th through the fourteenth. Yeah, but so the, and the Jaga Fair is in the fall, right? It, it's late. Correct. Yeah, I think I, I believe I it's it in Labor September. Day? Yeah, it's somewhere yeah. around September. And it's always and I remember as a kid, and it's probably true now. I haven't been since I've been back, but they had one parking lot for cars and another parking lot for buggies. <laughs> 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 Obviously, I'm not a fair goer, but if I had to go to one, I think it would be Geauga County Fair. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for a Friday. We ended with the fairs. It's one of the last Fridays in July, so this is the time of the year to celebrate summer. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back Monday talking about the news.